0: The same people who say the NBA regular season doesn't matter are the same people taking great delight that the Cavaliers are starting three and four. This is Bringing the Pain. In case you're not aware, my name is Cyrus Wayne, and I'm coming to you right here, as always, from Radio Fairfax. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at C-Y underscore T-H-A. Great. Happy Halloween, everybody. We are now officially into the, it is way too early for Christmas season. You know, uh, some people, as soon as Halloween is over, that is their uh, signal to start doing everything for christmas failing or not caring to realize that there is a holiday right in the middle of it where it is socially acceptable to be a glutton i'm just saying can we at least get through that first before we get into all of the uh, caroling and all the christmas songs on the radio uh, that that thing the christmas lights come on yeah the, the, the trees everything can we just give it some time sorry folks I, I had to get out the, out the way that, that was something that was just burning within that was just burning inside me I just had to get out the, out the way anyway I have a, a relatively abbreviated show uh, abbreviated show for you Uh, a bit busy this week very busy this week but of course I am here for you you know this is the first Time in a long time, I can remember being excited by the NFL trade deadline. The NBA trade deadline, there's usually, you typically every year, there's a big rumor, a big story that's floating around that makes people interested. And rarely th- something like that comes through. There's a couple of like mid middling deals, but you know, it's rare that you get the Pal to Lakers for Kwame Brown and a bunch of scrubs. Oh, I'm sorry, Kwame Brown was one of the scrubs in the deal it's where you get deals like that done around the NBA trade deadline, and it's very rare you get a huge deal done in the NFL trade deadline. But there were a number of moves that that were made, which you go, wait a minute, what? Well, the first thing is, uh, congratulations, Miami Dolphins. Apparently, the offensive line was the, the offensive line coach was not the only one in that organization, uh, just snorting lines of coke. Because they traded their best offensive weapon. In doing so, traded for essentially nothing. A fourth round pick. They traded an entire division to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles were able to get Jay Ajayi, the running back out of Miami, for a fourth round pick, which is essentially $2. It, it, it is ridiculous. Philly gave up a fourth-round pick to get a guy that can help him out tremendously. Now, a lot of people are saying, "Wait, but they have LeGarrette Blunt. Why are, are they do? Why, why, why are they making this trade for J. J. I. E.? Bro? They got him for a fourth-round pick. If, if you talk about value, uh, that, my friends, is value." Once you start getting quality players for the you know fourth, fifth, sixth round picks, dog, you are you're you're sitting very pretty. But what this does for Philadelphia, it gives them a lot of options. Not only like, paired with Blunt, who is a is a big powerful back who does who may start to wear down toward the end of the season. You pair him with Blunt, he can split carries because Jai is not going to be the feature back. He's not going to be featured at all. But you pair with Blunt, you throw him in with Winces maturation as a quarterback in the NFL. Uh, that offense could be even a lot tougher to handle, especially consider J.J.'s skill set. The one thing, the two things he does better than Legarrette Blunt is he's able to pass protect, and he is able to catch balls out of the backfield. Two things Le, 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 Legarrette Blunt is not good at doing and like that he adds that dimension to the offense when Darren Sproles, when like that was one of the things when Darren Sproles had gone out and was injured for the season. uh, That was one of the things that they were worried about missing was his ability to be a weapon out of the backfield in the passing game. Uh, JJ, he he brings that dimension to Philadelphia and a, an already potent offense just gotten that much stronger. It will take no time. I believe it will take no time for him to uh, come to that offense and say, wow, I I really feel at home here because unlike in Miami, he is not the only weapon they have. He's not. A lot of people will be quick to say, oh, he wasn't as good as he was last year because, yes, he was the only one that was able to threaten him. What, do you really think everyone was game planning for Jay Cutler or more recently Matt Moore? Sure, Jarvis Landry is pretty good, I will say. But when you have inconsistent quarterback play with Jay Cutler and Matt Moore, uh, Jarvis Landry becomes a little bit less of an equation, which allows defenses to zone in on Jay. In Philly, you can't do that. You need to respect all all facets of that offense, which will give Jay a lot of room to run when he's in the game. And most importantly, I keep bringing this up because it's because it's true with Legarrette Blunt. Since Jay's not going to be like the feature guy getting a disproportionate amount of the carries, he gets him and Blunt get to stay fresh and which will be very important once we start getting into the colder months November December where you need like fresh backs you need to really get that like that running game going and consistent but the question is why trade jay like why trade him of, of of all the people to trade why trade jay uh, the rumor out of uh, Miami is Adam Gates was sending a message uh, what kind of message I'm not quite sure what he was sending apparently there were some issues with uh, Gase and Jay and a few of the, a few of the uh, quote unquote more talented players on that team not accepting coaching which was one of the reasons why that got completely destroyed by Baltimore I mean, will this be the message? Hey, uh, you keep talking that trash. You don't do what we say. We're going to ship you to right now, arguably the best team in the NFL while we're sitting here at a measly four and three and in one of the worst divisions in football. And we're still somehow barely winning. I, I, again, I, I'm not in Adam Gase's head. I'm not quite sure what he had hoped to accomplish by doing that. Uh, another thing, moving on. A little bit up the East Coast. Uh, Carolina fans, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to me good. The Carolina Panthers are not tanking their season. Okay. In case you weren't aware, they traded Kelvin Benjamin, who's uh, regarded as their number one wideout, to the Bills for third and seventh round picks. Uh, He's in like Kelvin Benjamin is in the last year of his contract. There is no, there was no way they were going to extend him. So it's just like you do in the NBA. If you know a guy is gonna walk, you're gonna let a guy walk. You at least get something for him, like for for the trouble. And uh really it's still a good move for him even if he may have came back because if you recall uh, he struggled this way coming into the season came into camp overweight and and as we saw this this season his reduction suffered partially because camp's production has suffered but all but more importantly uh his inability to gain separation from defensive backs good move. It was a good move by the Panthers. Go ahead, get rid of him when you know you can at least get something for him, versus just let him walk away. Uh, Panthers fans, uh, don't cry. You'll be okay. It wasn't like he was carrying your offense. Who who is carrying that way? Camp. You know, watching the Carolina Panthers this year is one of the most frustrating things I've seen because you talk about inc- you talk about uh, offensively inconsistent. I don't know. From week to week, it's hard to tell if they're good from week to week. You you have the, the, the complete stinker that they had against Chicago, and then you have the game against the Patriots where Cam Newton looks like a Hall of Famer. It, it, just every week, I don't know which Carolina offense I'm getting. It, it, it's uh, and I, I could defer to some of my pan, some of the Panthers fans if you want to hit me up on social media at great. if you want to let me know what's going on with that offense because I cannot begin to explain it. It's as if they're having some type of identity crisis or maybe Cam isn't completely healed from his shoulder injury or maybe there's something else there. Eh, I don't know. I don't know. Speaking of quarterbacks that we're not quite sure are any good, uh, <laughs> Jimmy G, the wonder boy out of New England, was finally traded as uh, a day before the deadline to the San Francisco 49ers. I will, I will tell you this. Before everyone gets excited, before everyone gets excited and say, oh, like four dinosaurs, they have their guy and it's going to be all hunky dory. Let me ask you this question. And I want you to answer me honestly, really answer me honestly. Do we know for a fact Jimmy Garoppolo is actually any good? I want you to think about that. Is he really good? You could point to his record and say, "Wow, he's got a good, uh, he's got good statistics: 67% uh, completion percentage, 660 uh, 690 yards, five touchdowns, no picks, with a rating of 106.3." You say, "Yeah, that's impressive," but do I need to remind you of how good Matt Castle looked at that system before he completely robbed uh, Kansas City and just shattered a, a few, the hopes of several other franchises? And, of course, there's my own personal philosophy that uh, Tom Brady is uh, is a glorified system quarterback, but that's neither here nor there. Point is we don't know outside of that Bill Belichick system that they're running up there if Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be any good. We don't know. Now, the one thing I would tell you is if you're on the Jimmy Garoppolo is good train, you're going to need to be patient. You're going to need to be patient. San Francisco does not have the personnel that you, that, that will is conducive for any quarterback to come in there and be highly successful no matter how talented you are. We saw that I'm not saying calling, I'm not saying that um Jimmy Garoppolo is Colin Kaepernick, but then yeah, we don't know. That's the thing we don't know. But Colin Kaepernick again through what? He threw what? What, what, what was it? Uh, 16 uh, touchdowns to four picks. Uh, I think that's the number. Yeah, 16 to four and only won one game last season. So, so and that team still has not changed a whole lot from the team that's that we're going that uh, Garoppolo is going to right now. Sure, uh, Shanahan's the coach, but again, they haven't won they have not won yet. They've been close. They have been close, they've been dangerously close. I talked about it a few weeks ago. They've been, they been close to winning a lot, but that team is still heavily flawed. So for anyone expecting him to go out there and completely tear it up immediately, I'm telling you to pump the brakes there. Just a little bit, wait and see. And from from a San Francisco perspective, I'm not quite sure what they're doing either. We talked about, A, you get value for a guy when you know he's not going to sign. Well, Jimmy Garoppolo was a free agent, going to be a free agent at the end of the season. So, unless they were going to ink him to an extension almost right away, this move makes no sense. At this point, your season's going nowhere for San Francisco. You're not going anywhere. You're not going to win. You might not even win a game. Like this season, the season's a wash. You're already looking to evaluate for next year, which is probably maybe why they brought him in, but more on that later. But you just waited out. You you wait it out. You see you, see, you try to bring you, you uh, try to bring him in through to free agency. You try to lure him in. Uh, there is going to be a number of quarterbacks available. Him, Kirk Cousins of Washington. Uh, Washington, by the way, are, are secretly happy that this still is go, uh, going through because this eases the pressure off of them as far as a potential Kirk Cousins landing spot out there on the West Coast. But unless their plan was to bring Jimmy grapple in to see how he'll mesh with Shanahan, to see how he'll work within that system, and to try him out uh, for cheap or relatively cheap. No, not, not even cheap. He got for a third-round pick. That, I, I, I can do an, an, another show about how the Patriots just get value. But, again, I can do an entire show about that. I'm sorry. It was a second-round pick. What, what am I thinking? So they turn a backup quarterback. They turn a perennial backup quarterback to, into a second-round pick. That's what the Patriots do it's just so if you're san francisco you're trying to build your franchise picks are very valuable picks are valuable picks are like gold and you gave, you just simply gave away gave that away for a piece you're not quite sure is going to be the good also a piece you could have gotten essentially for free if you just waited a few more months Also, by the way, with Jimmy Garoppolo gone, uh, Brian Brian Hoyer is now now a backup again in New England. You may or may not remember he started his career in New England as a backup. So he's not, and this is what, back in uh, 2008, 2009, or somewhere back there. So he's not a young guy. So if this is a way for Belichick to say, hey, we're going to ride the next several years, the next year or two with Brady, and then once he's gone... I may just gotta like roll out and bounce here too because really, what else is there left for me to do? I mean, that's a, that's a great thing. You just simply pony up, you you leverage for the next couple of years without even worrying about what's going on down, what, what's going on past that the point that you care. It's almost brilliant. And finally, in the trade deadline saga that was uh, Tuesday, you, you know, I, th- every every so often there is a story just befitting a team right i just talked about the the uh pats just leveraging a backup quarterback for a second round pick um cleveland has no such thing at all so here's you want to know how bad i think we just figured out why Cleveland is as is bad and, dysfunctional, and as defu- is dysfunctional as they are. Uh, so, uh, close to the trade deadline, uh, they agreed uh, to trade A.J. McCarron to the Bengals for uh, several picks. Uh, Cincinnati notified the NFL office. Cleveland didn't do that. They apparently sent the paperwork to the Bengals uh, when they were supposed to set the pa- send the paperwork to the NFL. Uh, there is a story that's floating around. I'm not quite sure it's true that upon sending the paperwork to where it wasn't supposed to go, that several people were in the office were celebrating the fact that this this trade was done, even though the trade wasn't technically done. And first of all, I I completely, I don't know how to credit that report because who in their right minds, even in the Browns organization would celebrate trading for AJ McCarron. That that's not something you would, you would, uh, you celebrate. It's just not. But point the, Why they missed it? Who, who knows? So they sent it to the wrong place. Uh, you're supposed to have everything to it to the NFL by the 4 p.m. deadline, East Coast time. Now, I talked about the Bills Carolina trade a few minutes ago. That trade was finalized at 5. I'm sorry, at 3:57. So three minutes right before the deadline. In the most Browns way possible in the most dumb way possible as i just covered it didn't go through they sent it to the wrong place which leads you to ask a legitimate question if they're unable to execute a trade correctly just a simple trade just sending the paperwork to where it's supposed to go if they're unable to do that then how is it possible for them to get anything right now, I know some of you are saying that's a grand leap in logic there, but let's take a look at everything we have with, with the Browns and their recent and their history since they rejoined the league back in 1999. It's been one of dysfunction. It's been one of WTF. There is no way a team is supposed is to be this bad this long in a sport where quick turnarounds has been a draw. There have been te- like there have been teams who have gone from being absolutely terrible to right at the doorstep of a Super Bowl the very next season. That's how the rules are written. And the Browns have been completely irrelevant except for one year where some guy named Kelly Holcomb got into the playoffs. Oh, and by the way, they got the, they got the playoffs to the back door too, which they almost ruined because because Dwayne Rudd uh, like, threw off his helmet in week one and caused the penalty and there was a kick somewhere in there. Again, Browns. But my point still stands to me this is just a microcosm of everything that's wrong with that organization just the sheer levels of incompetence the sheer levels of how do any of these people have a job just just how this is ridiculous if you want to this just gives you an idea this is gonna be treated as a joke because it is a joke it's funny but unless you are in that organization unless you are a browns fan If you're a Browns fan, you need to be upset, not because they tried to trade for AJ McCarron, but just mechanically, like something that they tried to do that they thought was right for the franchise, they couldn't send the paperwork where it needed to go on time. That is a problem. And, oh, by the way, they're in this situation only because they passed on taking Carson Wentz last year and they passed on taking Deshaun Watson this year, even though I told you taking either one of those two quarterbacks, given the way both of these teams are structured. And as we see how the front office is structured, would have probably ended their careers right the day, right on the day they both started. Coming up next after the break. Uh, uh, the, Zeke, the Zeke Elliott saga continues, but let me. I'm going to explain why this is not about Zeke. Bring the pain, Cyrus Wayne, back after this. Welcome back to Bring Pain. This is Cyrus Wayne. So, on Monday night, a judge in New York had ruled in favor of the NFL to not honor the injunction on zeke's suspension that was on monday so they said so the judge said okay then we're just going to allow the nfl to suspend zeke on the grounds that they have are that already established of course on tuesday the NFLPA had tried to file in another emergency injunction to counteract the injunction that was just not passed through by the judge in new york any this make any sense this is kind of out of hand. It's it's going back and forth, back and forth. So it is a possibility that Zeke Elliott gets to play again this week. Nobody really knows. Uh, the Cowboys and fantasy owners alike are just glued to the television and glued to legal documents and, and law books all around the country trying to figure out what's going to happen with this guy. And I'm gonna tell you, even as a Cowboys fan, I am getting fatigued by all of this. At this point, it's this is not about Zeke, Zeke Elliott. It's not about domestic uh, case against domestic violence. It's not about any other incident he may have been involved in. I told you, I told y'all months ago, right? Given what we know in this case and all the other cases that were brought up, that we don't know, we don't know a whole lot, and that's what and that's what this was originally about. It was originally about the burden of proof and who felt or how much the NFL felt it needed to hand out punishment. That's what this originally was about. Now, this is simply two entities, the NFL Players Association and the NFL itself, trying to flex this muscle on each other. Uh, That's all that this is about. DeMora Smith had already laid out the seeds if you will of 2020 saying like months ago that there hey guys there may be a lockout coming just 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 so you know there may be a lockout coming now there are several issues that are at play here whether it's uh goodell's power whether it's uh the uh the the anthem uh, protest issue that that's still going on but all, that's what this is. Like they're like drawing a line in the sand here, the NFL PA rather. And they're saying, look, we're, we're not, we're not going to be bullied by you anymore. Roger, Goodell. like your days of just handing out punishments arbitrarily as much as you want to, uh, we're going to fight you until the end. And we know we may lose, but we're doing this to show like any player that no matter like what the court system Thinks of you Whether they say You're innocent Or don't don't even charge you Look at the links That the NFL Will be willing to do Just for them To say face And that's what Zeke Elliott Has become the face of Zeke Elliott In a way Has become a martyr Not a good martyr I will I will tell you He's a bonehead An absolute bonehead He's not a good martyr For anything But That's what The NFLPA Is making him They're making him A martyr They're making him an example saying hey guys this could easily be you this is why we're fighting so hard because this could be you and when they when the owners and the players uh, get together and start their and start the cba discussions in 2020 uh, before 2020 this example is going to come up and all the all the reps are going to tell their players, "Hey, chill. Remember Zeke. Remember Zeke. Remember how like, that just dragged on. Remember Brady and Deflategate and all, how how that happened. Because the commissioner just has free reign to hand out punishment. You you want this to happen to you? You want this to happen to you? I don't think so. Just listen. That's what that's what this case is about now. That's all this is about. It's about." The NFLPA like trying to say, hey, you need to stop and the NFL saying, uh, no, uh, this is our it's our responsibility to make sure that our the image of this league is upkept and the commissioner will have grand power to do so. Coming up next after the break in uh, college football and a coach in the SEC was fired, but not the one I thought was going to be fired at this point of the season. I'll explain. Bring the pain. Cyrus Wayne back after this break. Welcome back to Bringing the Pain. This is Cyrus Wayne. So the first edition of the college football playoff rankings were released. And let me tell you something. Them and the AP poll, they agree for the most part. But there is something that the college football playoff committee and the AP poll disagree on. And that is strength of schedule, apparently, at this point in the season. Where the AP poll seems to care about name brand recognition. The college football selection committee are going no 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 we, we actually care about your real merits well at least they at least do for now uh the, the only the big difference right now is georgia uh, that is it college football playoff committee has georgia at number one they have the bam at two the ap poll has them like flipped the opposite and it is because you could, say, you could easily say that Georgia has played a tougher schedule so far than Alabama, even though Alabama is just completely destroying everybody by 35-plus points. But apparently that doesn't mean a whole lot to the committee. But I, I wanted to bring that up because... We, we, we st- it, 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 we're we in year what? Four of the playoff, and we're still not quite sure what the committee values or like how we should take these rankings this early on. Now, Nick Saban did the coach thing when they were talking about, when uh, reporters were asking about the rankings, saying, oh, we don't care about the rankings. We just care about winning games. Uh, that's the coach thing. But I, I'm going to tell you, I'm actually going to side with your boy Saban on this one. Because at this point in the season, they don't mean a whole lot. That was proven several years ago. Remember when TCU like felt like like fell out, even though despite not losing at all, how they fell like from like four to five. You despite not losing, you see, we were still like trying to figure out what they were doing, and how they look at the games and how they evaluate teams. I bring this up because we still don't know. You have to take these rank rankings as a snapshot of, hey, this is how we see them now. Remember in the old BCS, the, the, the when the first BCS rankings came out, those were very important because of the mathematical formula, uh, which no one really understood. Re- really, no one did. But they would tell you, okay, this team is 1 through 10, and they're in those spots until either somebody loses or somebody has a big enough win they'll they'll jump somebody that was the assumption and that continues to be the assumption that we work today even if you see this in the ap poll it is rare that teams like really jump a whole lot unless somebody loses or wins in a dominating fashion everyone really stays put but the committee is telling you no 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 right now like this is how we see the teams right now next week it doesn't take someone to lose or does it take someone to, to win big but it could look completely different. They say they start from scratch. Like That's how they say they do it. And this is all a roundabout way of telling you, don't be concerned that Georgia's ranked number one in the playoff, but number two in the AP and, and Alabama vice versa. What I'm, Especially those two teams because at this point, those two will play in the SEC championship game and they'll figure out who's going to make it to the, represent the SEC in the playoff. And I'm not even going to talk about the other teams just yet because I, I told you none of this is important. However, I am going to highlight that my NC State Wolfpack, despite a, a ver- very valiant and noble and somewhat disappointing effort against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, are st- find themselves still ranked 20th in the country, both in the AP poll and the college football playoff. Now, our shot at the playoff is probably long gone, but we still have a good shot homecoming this week against Clemson to have our road painted to the ACC championship game. I just wanted to point that out there. A team that dropped... I, I did find this nugget interesting. A team that wasn't in the college football playoff but dropped out of the AP poll? Uh, USF, the University of South Florida. The reason I bring them up is because they lost their first game this season to Houston. A uh, 28-14, very, very close game, very competitive. I highlight them because in case you've forgotten or you, in case you never knew... Their head coach is, uh, is a guy by the name of Charlie Strong, who you know uh, used to coach some ball out in Texas. And I'm going to tell you now, Charlie Strong may be a name you're going to be hearing about pretty soon in some uh, vacancies that may come up. Speak, And one of them may just happen to be up the road in Gainesville at the University of Florida. <laughs> because they just let go your boy uh, uh, McIlwain. This is absolutely twisted. The whole saga is crazy. So, after they lost to Georgia, which, I I mean, we've already established that Georgia is one of the best teams in the nation. But after losing to Georgia, after uh, some off-the-field issues with players getting in trouble, players he recruited getting in trouble, and everything that's surrounding that program... The board the, the board of, of Florida uh, tried to use the claims about his family being threatened as cause well because, because the claims were unsubstantiated. know like, they haven't been able to prove that, the, that uh, the, uh, the threats against his family were made. so they were trying to use that as cause for it to, to get him fired. so they wouldn't have to pay his buyout. And then they tried to get this. They tried to make, they tried to make a deal with them for him to take less money to leave. I really want you to think about this. They have they have a contract, which it, it, for coaches is guaranteed. Uh, that's a whole nother issue I can do an entire show about as well. But it, his money is guaranteed. And, he's, and they're going, hey, we want you to take the less than agreed upon a pound, uh, amount so we can just go ahead and let you go. Obviously, he said, nope. Are you crazy? Are you nuts? So they just fired him anyway. So... Right now at the University of Florida, their head coach, their interim head coach is a guy by the name of Randy Shannon, who you may or may not remember was the head coach of Miami with a record of 28 and 22. Now, if you which by itself doesn't impress you, but if you may or may not remember, uh, that team had some issues, had some legitimate issues off the field, which cost them some scholarships, which handi- which ended up handicapping them for a while. What he was able to do, he was able to clean up that program. Uh, a lot, Some of the characters that uh, were hanging around that program, gone. Uh, the kids they're recruiting, uh, stopped. They, they really got better character guys, but they, Miami ended up saying, uh, you know, we, we, we want this whole winning thing again, so you're, you're gone. So the fact that Flo- the University of Florida is having some issues with player behavior as well, and that Randy Shannon is once again right there to pick up the pieces mate, for maybe just a month or two, I find that very interesting. Now, I I'm surprised of the fact that Wayne was fired this early, but I'm not really surprised that he was fired this early in the in the NCAA in college football. If you have made a decision that you're going to fire a coach, you need to fire him. You need to fire him as soon as you make the decision. The way the recruiting cycle works, the way uh, how all that all that's when all that's going on when you have recruits on the line when you have guys the kids taking their visits. Uh, they they ha- need to have an idea of who is or is not going to be there. because uh, Contrary to what some of y'all want to believe, these kids, when they go to these schools, they're not committing to the university. They're not committing to the program. They're not committing to uh, that pretty cool chemistry department. They're committing to a coach. That's a guy, like the guy that's sitting in their parents' living rooms when they're when they're trying to convince them, hey, come to the school, you'll get playing time. And they're telling the parents, like, I will take care of your child for four years or three, whatever the case may be, or five if they redshirt. I will take care of your kid the time they're here. They're committing to that guy. They're not committing to the school. So when you make that, when you make the decision to fire a coach, you need to get you need to get rid of them and you need to get rid of them immediately so you can get everything set up so you can start like hiring these guys, like start plucking the guys you need so you can still have those last recruits going into signing day. This McWayne was the first domino to fall. There's going to be plenty more dominoes. And because um, Old Miss is going to be looking for a coach as well. Speaking of teams that are looking for a coach, that might be uh, the the, uh, Rocky Top themselves. I'm surprised that that Bud Jones was not the first coach to be fired. Um, I'm sur- I'm surprised he wasn't. I I, I I I'm I'm still riding this horse. I'm still fighting and willing to down this hill that Butch Jones would not survive the end of the season. He will not survive the bowl season at all. He might not even get to the bowl season because he did something you're not supposed to do. And even though yes, Kentucky is surprisingly good this year, he took the L against Kentucky. Just not supposed to do that. And he's been taking L's uh, a lot of them and. In glorious fashion, we, we, we were the closest game that they lost was that that debacle against South Carolina, where they lost by five by six points. They lost fifteen to nine because they cannot call a play to save their life in the red zone. Just, just not at all. Let's take let's take a look at the last four games: uh, forty-one to nothing against Georgia, fifteen to nine against South Carolina. We covered that ad nauseum. Alabama, forty-five to seven, and just against Kentucky. Twenty six and twenty nine. Those close losses are things that define his career. The, their win against Georgia Tech in Week One, where they where they got through it overtime, for Butch Jones in his time at Tennessee, that's an anomaly. He normally does not win those close games. He does not at all. And if you watch, if you watch this team. You understand very quickly why that's the case. So uh, at this point, I'm not quite sure what Tennessee is going to do with them. I went over his record several weeks ago. I'm not going to go over it again. Just know it's not good. It's good out of conference against the teams uh, against the teams that don't matter. It's really good against them, but against the teams that do matter within the conference, the teams that you play every year, uh, it's not it's not stellar. It's actually it's, it's bad. It is bad. So the fact that he's ha- that McLean got fired before he did is a surprise. However. But Jones may have a little bit more to worry about uh, because there are reports that in that game against Kentucky, that right tackle Brett Kendrick played at least two quarters with a concussion. (laughs) <laughs> let me and if the, and of course he goes up and that d- does the whole denial but not really deny uh he d- he denies said that's not true but then the very next uh breath he goes he does not make any medical personnel he does not make any uh medical decisions that's all the team doctor so he said yeah uh that didn't happen and then he proceeds to pass the buck to someone else and i go bro um you really you know how suspect that you sound right about now but if this thing gets legs, and this is proven to be at least somewhat true on any level, bye-bye. Bye-bye, Butch. Coming up next after the break, and eh, this World Series was better than I thought it was going to be. But is anyone watching? Bring the pain. Cyrus Wayne. Back after this very short break. Welcome back to Bring the Pain. This is Cyrus Wayne. Game 7 of the World Series takes place on Wednesday. By the time you hear this, there will be a winner. But I'm not here to do conjecture on who's winning uh, pitching matchups, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Not going to do that. What I do want to talk about is the baseball this dying crowd is really having a hard time right now. Uh, So, and I will admit to a certain extent, I was one of the people I was one of the detractors. I was one of the naysayers. I was one of those that said, you know, there's no way that this series was going to draw anywhere near what uh last year's series did. Uh, you had a uh, one traditional team, the Cubs, who's known for losing. They have they're so close, but yet so far away against Cleveland, a team another team who hasn't won, but it's so close, so far away, and that this series will be a little bit harder to sell to the casual fan, but not so fast. Game 6 on Tuesday. Uh, Earned a 15.1 overnight rating. Uh, Just to put that in context, that was 2% higher than Game 6 of last year. And 70% higher than Game 6 of 2014. By the way, that 15.1 is the third highest non-NFL sporting event this year. uh, Only behind the NBA Finals Game 5, which was the deciding game, and the college football playoff title game. But the most interesting thing about about this number about these numbers is that the viewership grows by the game. Uh, game one uh, drew about fourteen point nine of like fifteen million viewers. Uh, game two, two fifteen point four. Games 15.6, six. Sixteen point 18.9, and fifteen point one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like twenty two point three. Okay, like million. My bad there But you see the point Like As the game goes on As the games become more compelling As the a, as a series becomes more real series Apparently that has now become enough To start selling these games to a, a casual person Which is a great sign for a sport That everyone says is on its last legs And is dying However it is fair to point out that Last year's World Series consistently outdrew this year's world series as far as viewers but it, with the exception of game six like every game Game one, games one through five uh the tw- 2006 world series had more viewers than the 2017 edition uh game six was the only one that like that only one that outdrew them and game seven which is wednesday night is going to have a very tough hill is going to have a very tough fight because last year 40 million people watched that game drew a 21.8 it's going to be interesting to see where that number ends up by the like by tomorrow. It's going to be or by Thursday. That's going to be very interesting to see where that number ends up. But yeah, to the baseball is dead crowd. Look, look here. Even baseball, like, store entertainment. Entertainment in itself is very is very simple to sell. And this is become and this is becoming very evident. All you need stakes. You need conflict, and you need stakes. The conflict in this case is simply two teams trying to go, like, like two teams. Like, that's the conflict. Two teams trying to be the best. The stakes are the championship. Conflict states, you get ratings. And, of course, there's the angle of Los Angeles, Dodgers, L.A., Bright Lights, Hollywood, yada, yada. And, of course, you have the storyline of, well, the, the Houston had a hurricane, and you already know how I feel about that storyline. Uh, that helps, too. But it doesn't get this many people interested unless it's compelling baseball well I'm all out of show for today uh, a, a little bit abbreviated it's about 10 minutes shorter than what I, what I normally do but I try not to do fluff that's going to be it for me you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at CY underscore T-H-A great you can catch me on uh, soundcloud.com slash CY underscore T-H-A great Apple iTunes Apple Podcasts bringing the pain T-H-A-P-A-Y-N-E until next time Bring pain. This is Cyrus Wayne. I am out of here.